0: Welcome to the Lot Carry Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. I'm Rev. Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey, and learning coordinator for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. The Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving weekly podcast grows from a multi-year journey among pastors committed to flourishing in ministry. This is a project of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Society and is made possible through the generous support from the Lilly Endowment. Learn more about Lot Carey and how it helps churches to extend the Christian witness throughout the world at lotcary.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. Join us for weekly conversations with pastoral thought leaders who share wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. I'm Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, and I'm excited to have this opportunity today to sit with Dr. David Emmanuel Goatley who is the Associate Dean for Academic and Vocational Formation at Duke Divinity School and also the Program Director of the Light Carey Thriving in Ministry program. Many of you have listened to him interview a number of pastors over these last few weeks, and it is a pleasure to now sit with him and have him share with us from the perspective of pastors. So Dr. Goatley, thank you for sitting in this chair and sharing with us today.
1: Thank you so much and uh, thank you for the invitation uh, to be in this position and as you mentioned usually I am the interviewer and so now that I'm the interviewee you Promise to be kind to me.
0: Yes, indeed, indeed. Thank you. Well, let's get started. The first question I'd like to ask you is as we look at the Thriving in Ministry program, there have been more than 50 pastors who have been on pilgrimage together toward flourishing in ministry. And our assumption has been from the very beginning that every round does not go higher and higher, that flourishing in ministry requires both striving and thriving, and the flourishing in ministry can be understood as a tree. Sometimes there are leaves, sometimes there are blossoms, sometimes leaves may be falling away, sometimes there are only branches. The tree may still be healthy and thriving. Dr. Goldley, talk with us about how you see thriving in ministry for pastors, both from your own experience as a pastor and in the role you have played for many years walking alongside of pastors and now training pastors in an academic environment.
1: As you can imagine, I am a fan Of the organic comparisons to flourishing in ministry, because I don't feel that it is something that is wooden or mechanical uh, and certainly not routine. But I think the flourishing, that the whole concept of flourishing is an organic concept, it has to do with growth. And uh, while growth can be planned for, uh, it can be anticipated, uh, it cannot be guaranteed. Uh, And so flourishing in ministry, I think uh, it makes sense when we think about it in generative terms. So while we have talked about a tree Um, Another way of thinking about flourishing for me has to do with, it could be trees or flowers or even weeds uh, that drop seedlings. And then those seedlings are able uh, to uh, germinate and to grow roots and then to um, grow above ground Uh, and to reproduce over time. And so for me, flourishing in ministry has to do with reproduction, uh, not with duplication. Uh, So I don't think that flourishing in ministry is about trying to crank out a bunch of many means. But I do think that flourishing in ministry is related to organic reproduction, which means uh, that some plant and others water, but God gives the increase. And I think we set ourselves up for needless disappointment when we think that we have to evaluate The flourishing of our ministry or the thriving of our ministry, when we think that we have to determine it by evidence on some artificially constructed timeline, Uh, what are you going to do in your first hundred days? What are you going to do in your first six months? Or What are you going to do in the first year? When people say, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Why 10 instead of 12? Why 100 days instead of 26 days? And so when we decide that we're going to try to evaluate based on artificial time frames, that puts us in a box. And it, it's not true to the organic nature of flourishing. It's not true to how things grow. Uh, I, rem- I uh, remember when we, our child was uh, an infant and toddler and the pediatrician gave us this material that had uh, kind of growth projections. And so there was an arc and it was kind of what is average and what's below average and what's above average. You can look backwards and you can do some data crunching But uh, as uh, the uh, financial people tell us, past performance is no guarantee for future performance. And uh, looking back over averages does not really help us because there's so many uh, variables in terms of soil, in terms of sun, in terms of saturation, there's so many things that affect growth and flourishing. Um, I think we have to be careful about artificial uh, timelines and schedules. Uh, so along with the idea of a tree, I like the, also the idea of the tree that drops seed, drops seeds that yeah. can then uh, reproduce, not duplicate, but be uh, reproduce over time. And for me, that is a way that I think about flourishing in ministry.
0: Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. We've been working on a formula with pilgrim pastors on something that we call a formula for flourishing, which holds that if a pastor's leadership capacity plus service context yields ministry content, there's a higher probability for flourishing we don't assume that a drop and drag ministry models that a pastor sees happening somewhere else is likely to lead to flourishing after all you do not expect a palm tree to flourish in maine and these are actually your words dr goatley so i'd like to invite you to elaborate on this formula and and this perspective with us. This is good to hear, uh, as they say, from the horse's mouth.
1: Well, I was a lead pastor in a small town uh, in the middle of a rural um, region in Kentucky, Uh, and so my context was not the same as some of my colleagues, for example, with whom I was in seminary, and some of them went to large urban settings that uh, were had a lot of population, uh, or uh, some who were maybe in an urban setting in, say, the north, the northeast, and midwest, where just the history of church engagement was much different than churches that were maybe even further in the south. Uh, so I was in a, a in Kentucky, where depending on what part of the country you're in, some people say it's south, some say it's Midwest. Um, but a small town, a, a county seat, uh, in the middle of a rural region, and uh, I was at the, the the first church, um, and in that church, in that setting. Uh, because of just the nature of the congregation, I was situated to be able to engage with political leaders, uh, business leaders, law enforcement, uh, educational uh, leaders, nonprofit organizations, uh, and these, these entities. And so as the pastor of the first church uh, in the county seat, <laughs> in 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 a situated in a a rural region, a part of that context opened to me the opportunity to be a pastor with a congregation that was the community, Um, and and so this meant that, for example. when you have the relation, when you have uh, constructive relationships with the school district, uh, so we were able to know when there were opportunities for employment uh, to be able to help to recruit potential candidates. I mean, we couldn't place them; we could make decisions, but uh, if if we were able to know about opportunities, we were able to help help them recruit in places where they wouldn't normally recruit, or uh, I had opportunities when there were uh, some employment opportunities in some of the businesses uh, where some of them would say, hey, if, if you can find some people who they, you can guarantee us they have the soft skills. Uh, so, you know, they uh, were able to pass the drug test and that they were able to manage uh, their anger and manage their time that if we could find people who we could bring the soft skills, then they would give them preferential treatment in terms of uh, being a candidate for a position. Those are just a couple of examples of being in a a context in a, in a, a, a small town, county seat of a county in the middle of a region. And so, There were many times, and you know, it's been decades ago uh, since uh, the Lord sent me on another assignment from there. Uh, But on social media, or uh, on the rare occasion I'm back in that uh, community, and I'm able to meet people uh, who are uh, well. I was going to say young adults. Some of them are are middle-aged now, uh, but they're young adults to middle-aged, and for them to articulate how uh, opportunities that uh, I was a part of facilitating or a part of encouraging uh, meant something in their lives. That's very meaningful. And it's an example of how meaningful ministry can happen in a small context, just like it can happen in a large context, a difference is, however, when you're the pastor in a small town, you have a different kind of accessibility to influence the systems of power in those towns. Uh, I remember uh, a, a very a tragic um, event that happened. And because I was the a pastor in an influential church in that small town, I had access to law enforcement and the prosecutor's office and was able to engage in constructive ways to help ensure that justice was done when there was a a cruel victimization. When you're in a large city, there are other opportunities for ministry, Uh, but I encourage people never to underestimate the kind of influence that you can have in a small community if you'll be a faithful pastor and understand that a congregation does not exist apart from a community. Uh, But my uh, father of blessed memory, who was my pastor, uh, used to teach all of us that you always speak of church and community together and in tandem. So that was the context that informed my content of ministry as a lead pastor in a small town, county seat, rural county. Uh, in uh, the Midwest or South, uh, depending on where where else others were.
0: Thank you. Can you talk to us now about how the capacity of a pastor contributes to the content of the pastor's ministry as you see it?
1: Let me give uh, this for, I wanna be illustrative and not exhaustive. Uh, in my answer here. So let us say a pastor has organizational strengths. So a pastor is uh, a systemic thinker, thinks organizationally, thinks about resource allocations, uh, budgets, and programmatic operationalizing. Then those capacities can help ministry work with certain kinds of efficiencies and effectiveness. That there are ways of uh, planning the work and working the plan, as people say. And uh, that is very useful, very meaningful, very constructive, and it makes contributions. Say that somebody else has stronger relational strengths. Uh, they just, my brother is a pastor. I don't think he's ever met a stranger. Uh, he's personable. He People talk to him easily. He talks to people easily. Uh, he's well-read. He can easily have a conversation about a lot of things. He has a lot of relational strengths. Uh, he's a good organizer too, but he has a lot of relational strengths. So say you have a passion has a lot of relational strengths, then they're able to see in people possibilities that maybe the organizational uh, person may not see quite as clearly or quite as quickly. They're also often able uh, to generate enthusiasm, uh, to generate volunteerism, to generate Uh, partnerships, they may not have to work out all the details because they can help bring resources, human resources, bring them all to bear, Uh, and then people can work out, you know, the, the, the relational pastor may be able to just get a bunch of gifted people on the bus, and then people can figure out where to sit to how to get the bus to go to the right places, where the organizational pastor may uh, have a better sense or a different sense of figuring out what kinds of people we need to recruit to get on the bus. So you still have a bus full of gifted people, but you get there differently, and all of these uh, can be deployed in the service of ministry. So th- I think uh, that's a way of 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 talking in an illustration of how somebody may lead with more organizational strength, somebody may lead with more relational strength, but both of them are useful and helpful. And part of the uh, wisdom of pastoral leaders is whatever your strength is, to try to cultivate relationships with people who complement your strengths so that there, there are these various, Uh, people who help the pastoral ministry to proceed.
0: Yeah, that's important. And one of the things I hear you say is that that our pastor's capacities may be different. And based on their context in which they serve, their capacity could make it Easier in that environment or challenging, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they may not be a good fit. But would you elaborate a little on what how you see if a pastor was to to say, "Oh, I I feel like this is not the right place for me based on my capacity and the context I'm serving."
1: Well. One of the things that is wise for pastors to do is to develop a, a, a capacity for adapting uh, to the environment. So, if a pastor is determined that this is how I function, then that, that pastor is almost guaranteed to have problems because. You know, if you, if, if you have three people in the room, I mean, you can have six ideas. So it's wise for pastors to learn to adapt. I also think it's wise for pastors to lead out of their being so that it is authentic, Uh, And authenticity does not mean that whatever comes up comes out. That's a lack of discipline and self-control. But authenticity means that if if you are, for example, an introvert, then there's no reason for you to try to act like you're an extrovert and try to uh, create this dynamic, uh, extroverted, expressive worship experience. If you're an introvert, cultivate a contemplative ministry of worship. Don't try to be what you're not. Uh, now that doesn't mean that you you know that that you you cannot learn how to turn the volume up a little bit or turn the volume down a little bit. To be appropriate and fine, it's kind of like you remember the old days before we were doing everything digitally when you had analog analog radio mm. and you had to turn the dial until you got it to the place where it really picked up the signal. Yes. And you might turn it left, you might turn right, you have to work on a little bit until you get it there. When you're working with people, you're really working in the analog system, you're not working mm. digitally. And so you have, to, you have to turn the dial up and turn the dial down, which is adapting. Now, I also want to say, though, that sometimes pastors feel like, you know, this, this church is not right for me or this context is not right for me. If, if the Lord has sent you there, if you're satisfied the Lord has sent you there, uh, I think you, you want to, and I mentioned earlier, not prematurely make decisions on some artificial timeline, uh, but I had a, a pastor, he was uh, old enough to be my father some years ago, it was in the 1980s, the mid 1980s, and he said to me, or uh, when you young pastors find yourself in a tough church, don't try to fight the people. Now, I wasn't in a tough church situation, and I don't know why he decided to tell me But I'm glad he did because I have told this advice. I have offered this advice too many times to count over the last uh, however many years it is to the mid-80s to now. And so this is what uh, the old man said. When you're in a tough situation, so say a tough context that you feel like your capacities don't fit, this is what he advised. Practice preaching get better at preaching. And so what he said is, you know, learn how to use different approaches, you know, do topical preaching, do exegetical preaching, do narrative preaching, do thematic preaching, practice and develop your gifts as a proclaimer. Second, he said to practice teaching, learn to be a good teacher, to be student centered. Learn as I've learned from you when you're dealing with adult adults, you're facilitating learning. You're not teaching information. And so learn how to be a good facilitator of information. Use different instructional methodologies and instructional technologies and the like. Do interactive learning and stuff. Third, practice caring for people. Learn how to be a ministry of presence. Learn how to listen. Learn how uh, to discern. Go visit people who are sick in their homes. Go visit the nursing homes. Go visit the hospital. Don't outsource all of your visitation ministry. Learn to be the presence of Christ in the midst of a crisis. (laughs) Then he said, now, remember this is the mid 80s and this was a patriarchal pastor. So I'm gonna tell you what he said and then I'm gonna reinterpret it for 21st century. Uh, he said, then go home and kiss your wife. So I would say, uh, go home and enjoy uh, the company of people that you love. If if, if you uh, are, are married, great if you're not married, if there are friends, significant others, where you can go home and invest in the life and the relationship of those whom you love. So he said, practice preaching, practice teaching, practice caring, and then go home and invest in the lives of people you love. And then he said this, if preaching, teaching, and caring will not convince people to follow your leadership, you got nothing else. So he said, either the Lord will let you develop yourself for the assignment that the Lord has out in front of you, or the Lord will cultivate the soil where you are practicing so that the soil is enriched for the ministry you have to offer. And so I would say that to the pastor who's in a, you know, said my capacities don't, It's oil and vinegar or oil and water or whatever, and it's not working. I say practice preaching, practice teaching, practice caring, go home and invest in the people you love and trust the Lord to get you ready and get an assignment ready for you or trust the Lord to enrich that soil with whatever the nutrients are needed so that the seed you're planting and the soil that you're in will produce.
0: A word to our listeners. Lot carries Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast is funded by the Lilly Endowment through its Thriving in Ministry initiative. We'll be right back with more from the interview. Since
2: 1897, the Lot Carey Global Christian Missional Community has helped churches to extend the Christian witness around the world. We collaborate with indigenously-led communities to bear good and faithful witness to Christ Jesus through ministries of evangelism, compassion, empowerment, and advocacy in Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, Europe, North America, Oceania, and South America. Together, we are touching lives with transforming love. You too can help to extend the Christian witness throughout the world. Visit us at lotcarry.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y o r g thanks for praying for and investing in the good news globally through word and deed
0: welcome back to the lot carrie podcast pilgrimages of striving and thriving i'm reverend dr jacqueline madison mcquery the learning coordinator of lot carrie's thriving in ministry program Dr. David Emanuel Goatley. You have been a leader and serving as a pastor. You led a large mission or foreign mission organization in Lot Cary as the former executive secretary treasurer for over 20 years, and now in leadership at Duke Divinity School, directing uh, the Center for Black Church Studies, in addition to being the Associate Dean. So it's clear you have uh, demonstrated leadership capacity and have uh, leadership skills to have served uh, so well in these positions. But We know it may not have always been that way. And, and even now there might be an area of leadership you may want to develop. So, so tell us how, uh, what type of leadership capacity have you had to develop or may still want to develop?
1: One of the areas that I needed to develop is that when I was a very naive leader, um, I just didn't know better. <laughs> uh, I did not understand how important relationships are with the people you're trying to lead. My naivete made me think that because you had a position, you were the leader. Um, I was blessed to grow out of that naivete. So I would say that, you know, whatever other abilities that you need, you need to build relationships with people because that is crucial to effective and flourishing ministry. I made the early mistake of thinking that, you know, I was a young leader and I was called into a challenging uh, situation that the Lord sent me into, and it worked out well (laughs) eventually. But I thought that I could just model hard work and discipline and effort. And I had people sitting there watching me work myself to death and didn't phase them at all. They were, they had settled into a kind of comfortable, um pattern of non-exertion and that's what they were going to do and i thought that uh you know a young energetic talented leader in the position uh would inspire um, support and uh wow was i wrong so i've learned that you have to invest in relationships with people Whom you're called to lead, so that you can invest yourself in their flourishing. And if you invest yourself and your gifts and leverage whatever relationships and whatever uh, power and position and privilege you have, if you leverage your power and position and privilege so that those around you can flourish, then they will value your leadership and your leadership
0: will bear fruit. Dr. Goatley, what brings you the most joy as the ministry leader? I get the most
1: joy when I see people with whom I've had the privilege of being in a leadership role maturing uh, as leaders or people who make contributions most joy I find is seeing people get into what what people who study leadership, they talk about flow, when you get into the flow. Uh, When uh, the ability you have and the place you're working, is just working. Uh, Musicians sometimes experience it. And if you've ever been, musicians know sometimes you play the music, but every now and then the music plays you. And when you get, when you see and witness that, that brings me joy. And that kind of, of um, evidence, however, takes time. So I'm, I, I enjoy what I'm doing in the moment. But what brings me that deep, lasting joy is seeing some of those seeds that have have fallen and and germinated and they start growing and then they start uh, having seeds to fall. That's what
0: brings me joy. What is the best advice That you received uh, either as a pastoral leader or in leadership in general? What is the best advice you've been given?
1: Um, There's two things that come to mind from two different pastoral leaders, and this is about being a pastor, but I think it's transferable. The first one is unpack your bags. And what the pastor was trying to say uh, to one of the pastor's protégés is that people have no reason to trust you as a leader if they're not convinced you are invested in their lives. So this pastor had moved to another state, but it never changed his license plates, mm. and so his mentor told him, "Change your license plate. You got to move. You got to unpack your bag. And if you still got to drive a license plate from the state where you move, why should they assume that you are invested if you can't do something as small as transfer your car?" Now that was just one example, but But what the pastor was trying to say uh, to the protege is that people need to know that you are invested in their lives as people, not that you are invested in your success in a position. So the question is, are you going to invest in the position for yourself or are you going to invest in the people for their good? So one piece is unpack your bags. The second one is don't try to do everything at once. And uh, this was an a, a elderly pastor who was giving advice uh, to a, a protege. And what the elderly pastor was says, <laughs> so he, he said, you young preachers think you got to do everything now. He said, and then you get frustrated that people won't do what you want them to do now. He said, you claim that the Lord told you what to do. You're not the Lord. So don't get angry that they don't buy what you sell it. And what he's trying to say is organize your work into uh, what some people would say, bite-sized pieces, so that there is a, a method to your madness and there's an orderly procession and you're not gonna get everything at once. Uh, one of my um, dear friends of blessed memory who was a longtime pastor said, you young pastors think you can do something in five to seven years. That's, you can't do that. He said, you need to think on a 25-year horizon. As if plan on being that 25 years. If the Lord sends you somewhere else, that's fine. Whoever comes behind you will benefit from your labor. But if you are there, you benefit from planting and watering. So those are the two best pieces of advice that I was giving. Unpack your bags and don't try to do everything you want.
0: All right. Great. One last question is what advice would you like to give to those who are listening? I would like to ask you to include in that wisdom any additional thoughts that you have, because I know this was this Thriving in Ministry program and taking the pastors on pilgrimage over. This three-year period has been a passion. It is a passion of yours to walk alongside of pastors and to help us and other pastors grow in their lives and in ministry. So in asking this last question, I would like to ask you to share whatever advice or whatever additional wisdom is on your heart to share with pastors. The advice I'd like to offer
1: um, pastors, people who are practicing or preparing, uh, is first and foremost, let Jesus lead you. Mm -hmm. Um, The prerequisite for being a pastoral leader is to be a disciple of Jesus. And if you're going to be a faithful leader, you need to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And that means that there's really not a place for you. Well, and I, I'm i going to be challenged on this one, and I'm satisfied to be challenged. Uh, but I'm satisfied this is where I am today. There's really no place for you to talk about what is what is in my best interest at this stage of my life, what I need to do for me in this point of my life, what my vision is uh, for my future. That's that's dragging and dropping stuff from outside of being a child of God, is that if you're going to be a pastoral leader, and if you're going to flourish in ministry, you have to just make up in your mind uh, that I'm gonna follow Jesus. And you better make up your mind <laughs> to do that because in the words of old, old gospel song of another era, the road is rough, the going gets tough, and the hills are hard to climb. Uh, but it also says, I started out a long time ago and there's no doubt in my mind, I've decided to make Jesus my choice. And so my advice is let Jesus lead. Be a disciple of Jesus. Be faithful with being a disciple for Jesus because Jesus will not lead you wrong, even if you find yourself in a rough patch. You know, the psalmist said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. So you might have to go through some valleys, or through some thickets, or through some rivers, through difficult terrain. That's all right, because uh, the Lord's ark is longer than your 90-day, or nine-month, or nine-year time frame. The Lord's ark, God sees further than that, and we are part of what God is doing in the world. And so uh, the old gospel song says, uh, let Jesus lead you all the way from earth to glory. He's a mighty good leader. And uh, my advice would be, let Jesus lead you all the way.
0: Amen. I just feel like let the church say amen. We have been talking with Dr. David Emmanuel Goldley, Associate Dean for Academic and Vocational Formation at Duke Divinity School, and the director of the Lot Carry Thriving in Ministry program. Dr. Goatley, thank you for what you have poured into this program, the pastors who have been a part of it, and what you have shared with us today in this conversation. God bless you.
1: Grateful to be with you, and thank you for your partnership and for the conversation today.
0: Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, a weekly podcast from Lot Carey as we listen in on conversations with prominent pastoral thought leaders. I'm Rev. Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Music by Makita McQuarrie. Share the word with those who need to hear it. Pilgrimages of striving and thriving, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, listen online at lotcarry.org.